0: That was for the song, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let's pray right now then, okay? <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you for the joy that we can have gathering together in this place, warm away from the elements and to just lift our hearts and our voices to you as we worship Jesus together. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with us. Thank you for this morning. We pray your word would have power. And we want to just be blessed by all that we experience today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Wonderful to have you here. I hope you feel the warmth of uh, being in this place. And before I get into content this morning, I just want to welcome those of you that are listening or watching uh, online through the live stream. Um, there are some of you who uh, are not feeling well today, and you're um, on the couch or in bed, and you're watching us live. We want to welcome you. Um, if, if, if you don't know, there's a few people from our church who are in Israel right now as part of a tour group. And my understanding is that they're watching us right now. So, hi, Israel. How you doing? Okay? Yeah, nice to have you here, and uh, hope you're blessed by being a part of our service this morning, which I think is really cool. You know, a church of our size, can I just say this? A church of our size that is live streaming is pretty powerful. Isn't that, that's really, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. You know, Um, so it's great. It's great that we have that kind of technology and can bless people. Because as I've said many, many times before, people are, are checking into church both physically and virtually. That's just the reality of our of our times and of our day. So anyway, whether you're here physically, whether you're here virtually, I want to just welcome you to being part of our service. Um, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about a, a character quality today. We're in the process of going through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of the most volatile uh, passages and sermons that Jesus taught. And uh, if you've been here with us for the last couple of weeks, we've kind of easing in some of the teachings of Jesus and we get into a section today that I think is really important because if I was to ask you, what is it of any of your character qualities that produces the most regret in your life? What would you say? Anger. Anger, impatience, those things. Yeah, um... Isn't it interesting that, that, that character qualities like impatience and anger are really short? They don't often last a long time. And the most damage that we often do in our relationships and with the people that we really care about is often fueled by a few short minutes. So what is it about something like anger? What is it about something... That's volatile, like impatience, that can cause so much regret, so much problem, so much interpersonal conflict. And Jesus addresses that um, in this section that he talks about this morning that we're going to look at out of chapter 5 of Matthew. So, here is the uh, opening parts of this passage that I want us to look at this morning. And, and Jesus begins a formula, and I hope you can see the formula um, that we're going to sort of be in for the next number of weeks. But here's what Jesus says. He, as, and, and remember, he's on the mountaintop, he's talking to the people, he's like, portrayed himself as the new Moses. Um, here he is. Talking directly to his disciples, but there's a crowd of people that are gathered around the disciples. Even though he may be talking directly to the disciples, everybody that is, that is within hearing distance are learning the lessons that Jesus is teaching. And this is what he says. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, (laughs) important formula, but I say, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, all of you are going, I'm done. I am so burnt, <laughs> right? You know, there isn't a single person in this room that, that doesn't wince at that description that Jesus is talking about, okay? Now, um, I'm, I'm going to have to give you a bit of background as as we work through this, because this is really important. Jesus produces a formula that you're going to hear six more times in the, in the next messages that are coming up. And the formula is this, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Now, Jesus doing, you know, but you have heard it said. He is looking back at the way that the Old Testament has been taught to the people. And Jesus is actually pulling out uh, the the seventh commandment, you know, do not murder, right? He's actually pulling an Old Testament commandment, an extreme commandment, and he's pulling this up as an example. And they have been taught for, you know, centuries this old testament idea about about murder and jesus is about to up the ante and correct something about the teaching okay which is which is really really important Um, here is what jesus is speaking out against when it comes to the old testament and when it comes to the people he's speaking to three faulty interpretations number one is tradition, faulty tradition about murder. Second is the interpretation. And thirdly is the application, okay? Um, Which is really important. Jesus is saying to um, the people in in front of him, that there has been over the centuries a teaching regarding this whole aspect of murder that may be true, but doesn't go far enough. Have you ever heard somebody say, listen, um, I'm okay because I have never killed anyone. Is it just me? We've all heard that. Now, what kind of a standard is that? Seriously. It basically says that everything that I do wrong up to the point of murder is okay. Isn't that what what it's saying? The minute you say that, you are just justifying every wrong action that you have done short of killing someone. And as long as you don't kill someone, you're okay. You're safe. There's no judgment. There's no anything. Okay? Jesus says that's just very bad thinking. In fact, Jesus, basically what he says, if you're going to wish someone were dead, you're in danger. There's a problem. And that problem you have to to wonder about because there's just something about your heart. There's something about what your motivation is. There's something about what you desire in another person that is a problem. And Jesus says, you know, brings that to the forefront. You might not actually do the physical act of wanting to murder someone. But the fact of the matter is that you have that hatred in your heart, that you have that desire to wish that on somebody else, puts you in a very, very dangerous place. Very dangerous place. Do you know in in, in, in the commandment of do not murder... It's actually the Sixth Commandment. Sorry, did I say the Seventh? I apologize. It's actually the Sixth Commandment. Um, By the way, in the Hebrew, there are seven words uh, for killing. Seven words for murder in, in in the Hebrew language. This particular word that is used in this commandment, okay, does not include, by the way, the killing of animals or the defending of your home or accidental death, or the execution of a criminal who is charged by the state with a murder that they decide to execute. So the particular word here um, that Jesus is alluding to is very specific. It's an intentional, uh, deliberate act to want to take another person's life. And there's a sense of hatred behind it, isn't it? You, you, you can't deny it's something that you wish on someone that eradicates their life. So Jesus is dealing with the interpret, the traditions, the interpretations, uh, the application of the text. Because for the most part, the nation, to a certain degree, was saying, as long as we don't get to the point where we're actually removing people from society, we're okay that that hatred can be fostered, that 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 sense of diminishing the value of another human being who is made in the image of God is kind of okay, that we can build social barriers, that we can build barriers of dignity and, and all those other things that happen when we try to categorize people as less than human. And Jesus doesn't allow that because he says what happens in your heart is eventually going to foster its way in such a manner that you might not absolutely get to the point of killing that person, but you could foster the environment that would allow it to happen. And not only allow it to happen, but to justify it in the end. And there's just something patently wrong that Jesus is warning us about in doing that. So it's a very very powerful thing. Now I'm gonna. I, I want to look back at verse 22 again. All right, in this next section, and Jesus gives us three kind of examples. Okay, he says, "But I say to you, even being angry with someone. Okay, let's highlight the word angry. All right, even being angry with someone. Okay, anger. Anger is a type of verbal abuse, and it can be a type of verbal abuse." You know, I remember. I, I remember the first time I was in England. Uh, the first time we went to visit our son in England, and I remember. I would, you know, you ever done the tourist thing? Okay, you're just, you know, major tourist. And I remember being in in uh, you know area of downtown London in the UK, and we were walking down the street, and I'm just checking everything out. You know, uh, double decker red buses and the red telephone. It was just tourist touristy all the way uh, you know we might have been close to Herod's at the time and i'm just taking in the entire scenery and i remember walking down the street um with our family and and hearing this racket and i finally figured out it was someone screaming loud and screaming so loud that you could you could hear the voice like echo off the buildings because we were in a narrow part uh, of a street and there was this young woman yelling at this guy just in a, in a in a furious rage over something that he must have done to her and it was like and like the whole you know you know when the whole street freezes like you know both sides of the street are and this young young woman is just you know, just at at, at a high pitched fever and and my first reaction is like what could he have possibly done? To you know, I in, in fact, I remember my son saying, "Don't, Dad," because I wanted to go over there. You ever you ever get the moment? I wanted to go over there and say, "Hey, can I help?" Because <laughs> that was my first reaction. Like, whatever he did, let's let's protect this guy because you know, and and like. And it didn't bother her in the least that, you know, the streets were crowded and she was just launching into this vitriol at this poor guy. And um, I remember them getting on one of the buses, double-decker buses, and, and you could hear her. The bus is vib- vibrating, it's just moving on, right? And you see the bus driver going, you know, all that kind of stuff. But imagine the anger Imagine what that poor guy would have had to, had to have done to elicit that kind of anger. So public. So volatile. The whole street just froze. It was amazing. And I don't know about you, but have you ever had a moment like that? <laughs> I can tell by the smiles. Yeah. You know, don't put up your hand or anything like that, right? But... We we've had we, this is the thing about anger that that just fascinates me. We can in thirty seconds explode to such a degree that we can have a lifetime of regret in that thirty seconds of what we say, of what we do, of the of the people we hurt. You know. Um, and it's difficult. Anger is just one of those things, right? I think the best way to vent your anger personally is to be by yourself in the car and drive in London. <laughs> just, just a suggestion. If, if you have to get it out, that's the best way to get out. Don't do it with your wife in the passenger seat. It just doesn't. Anyway. Uh, okay? But Jesus equates, equates, you know, the whole, the whole tendency to want to murder in this whole area of anger. And he's saying it's not the same thing. It's not necessarily the same thing. Okay but 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 sin can be like this onion, right? It starts with the, the first thing that you peel off and then the next thing that you peel off, and it kind of becomes worse and worse and worse if you let this thing foster, and it becomes something that be, that, that really becomes very volatile after a while, and you don't and, and I don 't know about you, but there's times where you know you 've gotten angry, you can't even remember what you got angry for in the first place. And look at, you know, our most destructive moments are when we get angry. Here's, here's, you know, uh, can I back up for a minute? Take the idiot thing down for a minute. You, you know, have you ever watched those TV shows and, and, you know, somebody's been murdered? And uh, somebody, you know, the, 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 the investigators come up and say it had to be someone who... They were close to because it's a crime of passion. Imagine the anger in a moment because of someone that close to you, right? That's what Jesus is alluding to. Okay. Here's the second thing he says, idiot. To call someone an idiot. This is the Aramaic word, raka, that we have in in older texts that actually bring this out. And raka is really calling someone empty-headed, that, that you know there's there's just nothing upstairs, and in Jewish tradition, this was really an insult to to call someone empty headed um, was was one of the worst things that you could call someone, and not only that, it was taken away it was taking away their identity of who they were and replacing it with an, an, uh, with an offensive one. so this was not something necessarily healthy or good to call somebody. This idiot. Um, in this version, it talks about and if you curse someone, but the other other versions talk about if you call this person a fool, if you curse them, would be in a fool, which is the next the next thing, right? Um, that, that that's another bad thing. Okay. By the way, the the Greek word for fool here is, is boros. All right. It's where we get our English word moron from. Okay, and um, (laughs) nice word? No, not a a nice word at all. Jesus here, what what Jesus has done here is, is really quite interesting because the one's talking about the head. The second one, fool, is about the moral character of the person. So Jesus is including the entire person in the way that he's done this, right? Um, Some commentators see that he talks about the head, you know, empty-headedness. The the second insult is about the character quality of the person themselves. So there isn't a single aspect of, you know, the way that we can be angry with another person and how we treat them and what we say about them that Jesus is leaving out here. Jesus here can condemns any angry contempt in all its cousins. Animosity, malice, hostility, malevolence, wrath. Okay? He's taken any of those things. And what Jesus is doing is condemning any kind of identity theft through anger. Any kind of identity theft. Now, Jesus does something really interesting um, he, you know, he makes the statement. He gives the teaching, and then he gives two illustrations. All right. So let me let's read the illustrations. The first illustration is this. So he says, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, why is this so powerful? Why, why is this illustration so powerful? You know, for, I remember the first time I read this illustration, and went, wow, of all the illustrations Jesus could have used, why does he use this one? Okay, what is it when we think we've done something wrong and, and we want to uh, feel better about ourselves, what do we normally do? I don't know what you normally do. Normally I say to God, forgive me. This is, this is so natural, humanly speaking. And here's uh, a, an illustration of what a typical Jewish person would have done. Okay? I'm going to go make my sacrifice, and make that sacrifice is going to make an atonement for anything that I've done wrong, the sins that I've done wrong. And as long as God and I are okay then everything else is okay. And Jesus says, you know, that's kind of wrong wrong thinking. Because it it would have been strange for the people to hear, leave your sacrifice there. Because for most people in the Jewish community, the sacrifice would have been the priority. And Jesus says, wait a minute. You know, is that necessarily the priority when you have something wrong with someone else? You can leave your sacrifice there. That's always going to be there and available. But what about the reconciliation? Which is what Jesus is introducing here is a sense of reconciliation. Go and be reconciled. Now, notice, you are the one initializing the reconciliation. You know you've done wrong. You know... That person may have something against you, but you are the one who is making the steps to go to reconciliation. Okay? Powerful illustration. Because for most of us, we say, I went to church, did my offering, did my worship, did my prayers, asked God to forgive me, and all that stuff. And the danger that we've talked about this before is that's just a vertical relationship but it does nothing for the horizontal relationship. You're not going to say to somebody who's, who's upset with you because you've wronged them, hey, listen, I went to church Sunday, I prayed to God, and we should be okay. <laughs> I take it, that's not going to fly. It's amazing. What it would have would have been communicated if you had said, listen, I'm really sorry for what I did. Okay? I was wrong. I left my sacrifice because it didn't feel right to me to do that. It didn't feel right for me to go through the religious until we were right here. All right? I don't know about you. It's powerful teaching. That's why, that's why many, many people realize that this is the most quoted section of Jesus, this whole Sermon on the Mount, but the least followed of all his teachings. Because it's so hard. See, it's easy, and it appeases my own soul and my own heart to be able to just sacrifice to God and get right with him. Because we know certain things about God that we don't necessarily know about other people. See, I can sacrifice to God, I can pray to God, I can ask for forgiveness, and I know that's constantly available. Forgiveness from another person isn't necessarily that easy. To reconcile to another person is probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do. That's why this this particular illustration is so powerful. Because it's the very best of circumstances in terms of if we're religious people of how we can get ourselves right not only with just god but with ourselves but it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be right with the people around us so jesus is talking about this whole spirit of reconciliation okay here's the second illustration that he uses when you are on the way to court with your adversary notice this Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Now, based on this illustration, you can see it's kind of like a financial thing that's going on, right? And in that day and age, um, there are a lot of things, you know, if you were in debt for a long period of time, they could actually put you in jail over, over debt. Oh, there's a concept. Um, anyway. But again, Jesus is talking about initializing Reconciliation. That if we're going to be people of the kingdom of God, the very first thing that we have to think of first and foremost is not getting our, our, you know, our, our rights taken care of, okay? Which we have to be careful about because if we go to a court of law, right? What are we talking about? We're talking about battling for our rights. And Jesus says, wait a minute, talk to the person. Maybe you can make a deal. Maybe you can reconcile and not bring the courts into it. Maybe. These are two very powerful illustrations. But if you're like me, you're going to have a lot of tension over what you just heard. See, Jesus doesn't get into the matter of reconciliation of what it actually looks like in terms of forgiveness, in terms of context, any of those kinds of things. But here's the point Jesus is trying to make, because there are times where, you know, Court has to happen. There are times where you're not going to get along with everybody. What is it? One out of every five people in your sphere of relationships are people you're not going to get along with. And the Apostle Paul actually says in Romans, you know, at the very best that you are able, try to get along with everybody. Okay? Paul, in the book of Romans, recognizes that we're not going to be able to get along with everybody. But here's what Jesus is trying to get at. Jesus is trying to get at to the point of that we should be, as kingdom people, people who think in terms of reconciliation first and foremost before anger. That we should think and work towards reconciliation whenever we can. That we should work towards, you know... Being, being uh, you know, a church that brings people together and not separates people apart. That that's the spirit towards we work, work towards. That if we can stand before God and say, I did my very best to get along with everyone and reconcile with everyone that had something wrong with me. That is all that God is asking and requiring of you. But instead, Jesus says, you know... We can treat our anger, we can treat our discontent, we can treat, you know, treat others in such a way that we forget that if we let that fester and if we let that you know, kind of become part of who we are, we're just going to literally murder people where they are because they're not going to feel dignified, they're not going to feel human, they're not going to feel like they deserve to live and all of those kinds of things that go along with that package. See, church isn't a place where conflict doesn't exist. Church is a place where reconciliation exists more. Because unfortunately, even in this room, we're not all going to get along. If that's a surprise to you. Okay. But we should at least have the spirit... Of wanting to reconcile and move towards that, and if you do your best, you do your best. That's what Jesus is driving towards, you know. All right, here, here I'm. You're going I, I want to give you um, a statement, and we're going to repeat this statement a number of times because this is what Jesus is alluding to often when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. And here here it is. Um, is this a demand that is placed on me, or is this a desire deep within me? Is this a demand that's placed on me? Or is this a desire deep within me? And to explain that statement is that we can we can treat Um, the world that we live in, we can treat relationships, even religion, even the things that Jesus says, he says, okay, the law says that this is, I can't cross this line. The law says, I'm going to get a fine if I do this and all that kind of stuff. And you can live your life um, just looking at the things that, you know, place a demand on you from the outside and just live within that boundary. But it does nothing about your heart. It does nothing about the motivation inside of you. It does nothing about who God is shaping you to be. The Sermon on the Mount works from the inside out. Okay? You know, where there is love, there is going to be no law. If this is the desire or motivation deep within you to want to reconcile, to make things right, to to see the best in people, all of that kind of stuff, that's going to come from the inside. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful, because it's working on those of you on the inside in the areas that you struggle with and say, this has to be something that comes out of my heart. Because if it's just a demand on my life, it's not going to be real. It's not going to last. And the minute things don't go my way... It's just something I'm going to just turn away from. But the entire Sermon on the Mount is motivating people to look at their heart, look at their motivation, and understand that this needs to be something that comes from here. Or else reconciliation is not going to go well. See, if it's a demand on the outside, I've done done you wrong. I've done you wrong, okay? But you know what? I'm going to the temple. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to get right with God and everything's going to be okay because that's demand of the law. That is the demand of the law. But Jesus says, real reconciliation, coming from your own heart, is gonna, you're going to see that act as not being warranted because you have something inside that you have to do right with somebody else, first and foremost. And then it gives value to the sacrifice because the sacrifice is coming from a heart that is reconciled with the very person. Are you following me? Are you guys okay? That's, that's, a whole, that's a whole different picture, isn't it? And a whole powerful picture. And, you know, there's so many areas of our lives that, that we, we, can, we can talk about that. Am I doing this because the law says it or it's a demand on me and I'm not necessarily good with it, but I have to do it? And you know all the feelings and, and, and problems that are associated with that. But the entire Sermon on the Mount... It's constantly pointing us back, saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you may not murder someone, but what are you thinking? How much hatred do you hold in that person? How happy would you be if somebody else committed the murder for you? It's all about shaping us To be people of reconciliation, being people of hope, being people of love, being people who make the world a better place because each and every one of us are living from a place where we see humanity as God sees humanity. Whole different picture, right? Is this a demand placed on me? Or a desire deep within me. Can we pray? Father in heaven, thank you. For this powerful lesson from Jesus. Great illustrations about what it means to be people of reconciliation. And Lord, it's not always going to work in our favor, we know. But how many of us have totally forgotten or given up reconciling because it's just so difficult and Lord Jesus doesn't get into the whole mechanics of forgiveness and and all of that kind of stuff that goes along with it but I think very powerfully he's just calling us to think first in terms of reconciliation before anything else I know that's hard Because we all want payback, we all want to get our proverbial pound of flesh and and all that kind of stuff. But if we're brutally honest, the world has enough animosity, the world has enough hatred, the world has enough anger and enough rage. Is it not maybe time for us to seriously consider the ways that Jesus is advocating for so that the world would truly know what it means to live in the kingdom of God. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all you're teaching us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.